Hi, welcome back to Meraki Unboxed. My name is Simon Thomason, host of the show. And as I always say, it is fantastic to have you back with us. And today, actually, it's a special episode. We've hit episode number 50, which I'm really, really proud of. We've had some really great support for this podcast over the last two years that it's been operational. You know, I'm so grateful for all the regular listeners out there. I know we have a pretty healthy listenership, so super happy to have you back with us once again. As I always say, the podcast is here for you. We are using this to try to provide you with some useful information about not just Meraki, but also, you know, cultural aspects of our modern working lives and also looking at different industries that we operate within and how technology is used in those, whether it's Meraki technology or frankly anything else in the technology space. So thank you again for joining. And today we've got an episode again where we're going to look at a specific area of uh, technology's application in the real world, and that's in the field of higher education. And I'm actually really excited today because we have brought into this conversation Jenna Linskins, and Jenna is going to take us through uh, some very exciting conversation around higher education technology specifically. And Jenna is an influencer in this space. Uh, so let's do a quick hello. Hi, Jenna. How are you today? Good day. Hi, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm always doing great on a Friday, which is where we're often recording these podcasts. The weekend looms and uh, well, the weather not looking great for the weekend, but I don't care. We're going to have some nice relaxation and I'm ready to go. This is really the key thing that I want to get through today to really help everybody understand what we're doing in the world of higher education or what's going on in that space. So let me just give a quick bio, Jenna, if you don't mind, I'm going to read this out because it's pretty impressive. I want everybody to know why you're here today. So yeah, sure. Dr. Jenner is a director for learning and innovative technologies at Ithaca College in New York. She's providing leadership in faculty development and coaching support in technology integration, instructional design and e-learning. Jenna has over 23 years of experience in K through 12 and higher education and educational technology. And Dr. Linskins is an industry leader and national presenter with multiple certifications in instructional technology and learning, including recognition as a certified education technology leader. Wow, there's so much on here. Uh, and Dr. <laughs> Linskins was recently named EdTech Insider Magazine's 2020 Dean's List of 30 Higher Education Tech Influencers. That is quite a mouthful, that last one. Yes. So welcome to the podcast, Jenna. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on your 50th episode. Yeah, this That's is a great I mean, milestone. It really does feel like it. I think we do these every two weeks. And, you know, obviously keeping it going through the pandemic has been a challenge for sure. We used to do this in a studio. We were able to sort of look each other in the eye. But of course, now it enables us to reach out and talk to people who are further afield. And you are speaking to us today from? From New York right little town of Ithaca. Most people know Ithaca for Cornell, which Cornell sits on the East Hill and Ithaca College sits on South Hill. So. Wow. Okay. A little bit of geography there. We snuck in. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> so let's kick off with just to help everybody picture what you do day to day. So take us through your, your typical day with the college and what you do. Sure. So being in the position of director of learning and innovative technologies, I really get to have my hands in the operational piece, which is, you know, the day-to-day -day happenings of teaching and learning and using the learning management system or some of our more innovative tools. But I also get to be at that higher level and work with other directors to think about the broad impact of the technology and how it supports student learning and how 
faculty are using those tools. Mm -hmm. So I get a, a really great combination of that experience every single day. You know, sometimes my days are filled with more meetings than, than I would hope. Mm, but a lot feeling. of those, Yeah, but a lot of those meetings end up being more of like even a consultation, having conversations with faculty and really finding out what their needs are and how we can use technology to support and help them traverse those needs and, and find solutions. Yeah, that's a really interesting balance. What a fascinating job. And I think for me, when I think about my work at Meraki, I really appreciate the fact that not just we've got this kind of cool technology that we make, but also that it makes a difference for people. And that's really the interesting piece. So you're not just focused at the operational level, but you are thinking about the broader application of that technology and what's happening with that over time. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's kick off with a quick discussion around the sort of trends and innovations in higher education technology. And what are the drivers behind those? What is that sort of big picture that you are seeing at the moment? Sure. You know, there are trends with, you know, the increase of augmented and virtual reality, a lot of increase in the use of virtual reality. But when we drill down to some of the things that we've seen that have happened over the past year and think about how we went from being a 100% in-person teaching experience where students were invited to bring their devices to the classroom mm -hmm. to now really relying heavily on the hardware and the software to support teaching and learning. So we're seeing a lot of schools, and I recall even you know a year ago at this time, where we were all scrambling to find ways to deliver remote instruction, or even over the summer, getting ready for some sort of a return to fall, mm -hmm. and having to set up classrooms with AV technology that we never thought we would need, multiple cameras, improved microphones, turning a traditional classroom that maybe sat 30 people into now this very robust type of a learning environment where you might have one faculty member with six students spaced apart, you know, at a distance, mm. but your remaining class are all attending online. So, you know, the trends over the past year have really been this, how can we improve the learning experience and support all students, whether they're attending in person or remotely? Yeah. I think that's the biggest trend that we're seeing. As schools go forward, we're still looking at, now we've equipped these rooms, how are they working? Do we make more improvements or do we expand it, right? So that's another trend is this whole idea of that learning through uh, Zoom or mm. Skype or whatever it might be. Yes. So. Yeah, and I think even though we're obviously focused on the higher education piece here, what you're saying really applies so broadly to many people who will be listening, you know, including in the world of work, of course. And as we're thinking about you know, how to support remote workers, how to support a hybrid setup, I think that's going to be a very interesting one going forward because you know, as people do start to come back to colleges and back into the workplace, they need to be thinking about how to make that as an inclusive an experience as possible. And I think this is a word that we've heard so much recently and understandably so in this space, particularly because we just aren't going to have that luxury of all being in the same place at the same time for a while. Yes, exactly. In fact, I've seen some different reports. I do follow EduCause. That's one of our higher ed educational technology groups. So I follow a lot of the information on EduCause, and they're even reporting that whether it's related to 
you know, education or it is in the business world, the shift in the expectations of having employees even in the building Hmm. um, and what that potentially looks like. And one of the things that we have that we're considering as we think about within our own IT department is that if we do have people like our web developers who probably don't need to sit in a cubicle or office every day because they can do their job just as well from a remote location, is how do we support that? How do you support their office needs when they're not in the office, right? Mm -hmm. And we've had to do that in education. We've had to look at that and how we've had to support our faculty or support our students or even our staff whether they're from human resources to the registrar's office to our health center for our students, how are we supporting them and able to provide their services to our students, faculty, and staff? Right. So we've really had to think about that. And it is a lot. I mean, there's so much that was just suddenly thrust on us in, uh, what was that, March last year, to have to deal with all of this all of a sudden. And I can imagine for colleges it must have been very painful because you know, everything's set up around that in-person experience overwhelmingly. So, I mean, that kind of leads me on to the next question, which is certainly related. And what are, in your view, the most significant challenges that you see now? And also looking ahead, you know, how do you see them impacting those college IT teams? Sure. I think the biggest challenge that we've looked at and have been working through is the equity. Equity spans across the platform. It might be equity regarding the devices. It might be equity regarding internet. And one of the things that I've heard that's been reiterated over and over for many years, and I think it's finally getting recognition with the way that the world is running right now, is that internet is a staple requirement Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it shouldn't just be exclusive. So finding ways to mitigate that, whether it's purchasing mobile hotspots and providing mobile hotspots for students or faculty or staff, or looking at devices that are available. We had a large number of faculty that were very comfortable with their desktop computers. And we had to quickly move them into this remote environment and provide laptops. So we had to be very creative with how and where we were finding these laptops. Mm and then finding ways to disperse those and get them back at the end of a semester or be able to, you know, if there were changes in employment. You know, those are some of the challenges is that making sure things are equitable. And that also comes from a teaching perspective when we think about the software. And I remember one of the big challenges that our faculty were facing was the whole idea of testing and online testing. And there was this notion of we're going to go to proctored exams and Mm. we're going to buy into some of these different software programs, which every school, even every department within a school are addressing some of those challenges in different ways. But thinking about that is how do you make sure that you're providing a secure test uh, that your students are taking? And sometimes it comes down to using special software. Sometimes it comes down to totally redesigning the way you deliver assessment in a classroom situation. So again, just thinking about that and that equity that lies there. The other big challenge is relates to, it's almost like a digital divide. Mm, Yes, Uh, It's that trend of having, particularly in higher ed, you know, we have a significant number of faculty 
at many schools across the world that they never felt comfortable or they're not part of that generation that grew up knowing an iPhone for their Mm -hmm. entire life. So the digital divide between how they're used to using technology or not used to using it and the expectations that our students have. And so working with faculty, that's one of the biggest challenges to work with faculty to help them learn the tools because a lot of them, they didn't know the tools. They didn't use them on a day-to-day basis. They were doing everything in person, right? Exactly, exactly. And I think that's something that in an IT world, we tend to forget. We live in technology. This is our livelihood. This is what we do every day. And when we are working with faculty or staff or employees, anybody that is more hesitant about using technology, we need to remember to bring it to that basic level of trying to help them understand how this tool is going to help them, how it's going to benefit them and help them be maybe more efficient or more effective in work. Mm-hmm. And that was a big challenge because, you know, or in this past year, you know, it's a challenge on a day-to-day basis. But I think this last year it, it was exacerbated because people were stressed or concerned. They were anxious about everything else that was going on around them. Right, exactly. Yeah, we, we had to adapt to quite a few changes in our lives, not just at the technology level all of us in our own respective ways when you describe that it's easy to visualize and and i think it's wonderful ironically even though i work in technology i think it's wonderful that there are people out there who are so focused on what they do you know the passion of what they do for a living the the technology is very secondary for them so Mm -hmm. i can imagine that this could absolutely have been a uh, quite a jarring experience how do you think it's gone i mean what have you learned through making those changes Well, I think we have seen a lot of exciting things happen, and I think this even goes in the online world for learning, is that we have seen people, they had their aha moment, and they went, oh, you know what? Online learning, it's not that bad. (laughs) (laughs) It really is legitimate. And I just say that because my doctorate degree was earned online. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get a side eye look going like, "Eh, is that really a legitimate degree? And online learning is not easy. Mm -hmm. And whether it's teaching online or learning online, but I think what we've seen and we've learned is that it has leveled the playing field. It has built acceptance. We have more people that are recognizing that online learning, remote learning, hybrid, high flex, whatever term they want to use, that there are opportunities that can be there that are just as authentic as being in a classroom and having that experience in a classroom. Now, we can't replicate everything Mm. online. There are things for our programs at Ithaca College. We have students that are taking physical therapy or occupational therapy, and they can learn the theory behind different skills in an online environment, but they really need to have that hands-on experience in working with a patient to work to figure out how the body moves and how the body reacts to certain exercises. That has been something that we've really acknowledged is that teaching and learning can still happen. It offers different opportunities and it's more accepted that we are seeing uh, even within programs or departments that there's this adoption of, I can teach this way. Mm -hmm. I can use technology in this way to support my students and to support my teaching. Yeah, very interesting. And also, I mean, the equitable piece that you talked about, obviously very important. And I wonder, I mean, did Ithaca College do anything there to provide access or to help out with that? I know that's something that a lot of schools and universities have been making strides to try and provide. 
Yes, definitely. So the CARES Act, there is funding that is out there that's available. That funding helped us to be able to purchase mobile hotspots and get those sent out to students. It helped us to extend our license agreements that we had with certain software companies or to expand on those. Mm -hmm. For example, we rely heavily on Zoom for delivering that remote instruction. And we were well over our limits <laughs> with not only number of users, but the storage. Right. And then the devices, to be able to provide those devices, whether it was laptops to students or to faculty or to staff, but it, to be able to provide the laptops and the technology, the hardware to support that remote experience. And we would not have been able to do that without having some of that government funding that was made available through the CARES Act. And so that was really vital in order to close that divide. And we still encounter some things here and there. I know there's some softwares that don't always work as well on a Chromebook that they may work on a regular a Dell or a Lenovo or some kind of a, or HP or any of the different laptop companies mm -hmm. or a Mac. So, you know, that's something that, you know, that we always have to think about from a software side. We have to consider the software tool and is it multifunctional? Will it work on multi-devices? I think of that with our learning management system. And the learning management system, and we're seeing this, we're seeing improvements. I think even a lot of the software companies are recognizing that in order to be competitive in the market, in order to be able to meet the needs of their clients, they're looking at does our software work on all of these different devices, including mobile devices. Mm -hmm. Because many of our students, we found, were accessing their coursework on a mobile device, like a smartphone. And if you've ever tried to read a news <laughs> article on a smartphone, yep. uh, it's not easy. So now try to read a PDF that your professor sends you. You know, we were working with those students to say, look at, we want to provide you with something that can meet your needs, but we recognize that you are, you're comfortable on a smartphone. So that was the way that we handled it was really looking at the hardware and the software, and then looking at what we could provide for wireless support, because many of our students live in communities where they don't have the bandwidth yes. or they rely on their mobile device and their data plan on their mobile device to be the wireless network. That was really challenging. That was a very cost prohibitive for students and their families. Mm -hmm. So we were able to do that in thanks to the funding that was available, which there's still funding available. You kind of have to parse through all of the jargon and the paperwork for it. But there is funding that schools can take advantage of to support the needs of their faculty and students. Yeah, it's really good to know that that is out there. And it is amazing. I mean, really, it's been such an eye opener for those of us who work in the technology industry, because we take so much for granted, I think. We've been, you know, using broadband technologies at least at home for, you know, two decades at this point. It's, it's kind of amazing to discover just how many people really just don't have or are not able to afford or just don't have the coverage wherever they're located if they're more sparsely populated areas. It's been really quite an eye-opener. So it's been good to hear that there's, you know, infrastructure considerations going on at the moment to hopefully address some of that. So that's interesting. Yeah, and it makes me think, well, there's one other way we tried to mitigate some of that. We were able to expand our wireless bandwidth on campus. So we actually set up wireless access in our parking lots. Mm. And that has 
now in the spring, in preparing for our students, we were able to expand it to certain areas of like the quad area or the gathering area where students can sit outside. If anybody looks up Ithaca College after this, we have a beautiful fountain that overlooks the town and overlooks Ithaca and the lake that's beyond. And our students love to sit near that fountain, mm. but they wouldn't always get the best internet outside because right. they would. <laughs> we didn't have internet outside. Right. We had it in the buildings, not outside. So we were able to expand those services. And that's another way that we've been able to mitigate and encourage people to still come to campus, to be socially distant, mm -hmm. and to still be able to access their classes or their coursework or to work on a day-to-day -day basis. But that was one thing we did early on. And we set up these Wi-Fi hotspots in our parking lots so people could drive to campus and mm -hmm. sit in their car and attend a class or a meeting or something. And we've heard about that. I've heard that from other companies. Other companies were doing things like that, where they were expanding the access of their internet so people could pull into parking lots and do that. I will claim that I did that once. Yeah. <laughs> Hands-on experience. It is definitely a common one. We've heard about that quite a lot in K-12 as well. That's been happening. And you know there are technologies available from Cisco and I'm sure from others as well that can actually extend even further and can really take you know internet connections into more rural areas as well kind of backhauling using cellular technology and that kind of thing so a lot of efforts being put in just trying to provide that connectivity and that equitable access as much as possible which has been great you've described how things changed and what some of those challenges look like now of course we're almost in a new phase and we often hear it referred to as the new normal I'm not sure if everybody loves that term, but it's kind of sums up what we're moving towards. It's definitely not going back to how things were exactly before. So if we think about sort of new learning models that we've learned as a result of the pandemic and just generally trends in higher education, and also the students' new demands as a result of some of these changes, what can IT teams do to kind of get themselves better prepared and to support that effectively? Yeah, definitely. One of the things that we did that I continue to see this added to is the idea of virtual desktops, making that software more accessible to more students. I think we're seeing a trend away from the traditional computer lab environment. More and more students are bringing their own devices, having that infrastructure in place so that students can access the internet in different locations and access these applications without having to sit in an actual computer lab. I think one of the other things that we're doing to prepare is we're really looking at the AV setups. We responded very quickly over the summer last year to prepare these classrooms. And now we've had faculty that have been in there. We've been at about a 50% capacity for the past spring semester. We were 100% online yet through fall. Mm -hmm. But in the spring semester, when we went to 50% capacity and we had students and faculty there, they were able to provide us with some really great feedback in regards to what things were working. You know, we responded very quickly in, in installing these cameras and microphones. And now that we're able to sit down with the faculty and find out like, oh, you know what? We just generally picked a location in the room to place this, this camera. Maybe we need to adjust the location of that in order to capture more of the classroom. Having those conversations is really important. There were two directors, myself uh, included, and then our CIO, 
who went and met with several faculty to get that feedback. And I think that's a key component that having that conversation with your faculty or your staff about what did work is important. Mm -hmm. And then again, thinking creatively about when our students do come back, are they going to still want to attend some of their classes in a remote experience? And in that case, where are they going to be attending those from? Are they going to be in their dorm rooms? Are they going to be in uh, or any kind of student housing? Are they going to be somewhere on campus, near a coffee shop, wherever they might be? And so making sure that the infrastructure is there to support that Mm. experience, I think, is really vital. The other thing that we're seeing is definitely a trend away from printing. So I think a lot of people got away from having to print things. Oh my goodness. I dream of being able to get away from printing. No more toner. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But as a result of that, students are still creating documents. They're still gathering all of this information. Professors are still sharing out PDF files. So having that understanding, and this was one of our aha moments, is that we assumed that people knew the tools that were available to them, whether it's Google Workspace or it's the Microsoft Office, we assumed people knew what they could do with them. And we found that they didn't know all of the amazing things, you know, even just teaching them about the storage, like where do you store your files? So that is something that I think IT departments can really think about is what is your cloud environment? What do you have available for your regular work things? Is it Google-based or is it Mm Microsoft-based or something? And then helping to educate your users on what tools are available and how they can better utilize those tools, whether it's for communication or for document sharing or storage or brainstorming ideas and, and holding meeting minutes, whatever it might be. So I think those are some things that to think about, you know, as we go into this, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and people, some people use it, the, the new normal. Yes. It's a term that we think about a lot at Meraki, not just in higher education, but really for all of the different industries that we typically associate ourselves with. And that is experience. And really what we're trying to do with technology all the time is to level up the experience as much as we can for our direct customers, but also their customers. So in your case, the students, right? And I think what we probably have seen is, uh, and you said it yourself, you know, you went through some online education yourself and discovered that you could get that done. And uh, I'm sure that many others have discovered it as well. So it's obviously been an opportunity for new types of experiences to be developed. And so that in-person experience for a college like Ithaca Sounds like the fountain is going to do it. I mean, it definitely would for me. I think the overall student experience is just so important. So obviously, I'm sure you've been thinking about that. You touched on some of that yourself there. Yes, definitely. The one thing that, you know, I think about and you, you know, we talked a little bit about the idea of how IT teams can help support this. You know, one of the things that I've also seen is the idea of the staffing at our IT help desk or service desk, whatever Mm -hmm. your group may call it, increasing that has been extremely helpful because the number of people that have been reaching out has been tremendous. And then we also added in a chat option so that people could not only call or email, but they could do a chat with a live person during our regular hours Mm -hmm. And to have those resources available, we can do that training. We can provide some of that training 
I know our team does that very frequently. That's part of what we do on a day-to-day basis is my team members are always providing one-on-one or workshops or small group training sessions. And we can do that. We can help bring people up in their digital skills and their digital literacy skills. But there's still always going to be, you know, people that everybody's going to need help at some point. You know, even those of us that may think we're the most tech savvy of this of them, we still find that we have to look something up or we have to mm-hmm. reach out for help. You know, having a really solid help desk, it's just been very beneficial and has had a positive impact on our students, faculty and staff this past year. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing the kind of innovation that jolts like this can make across the board, really. So uh, good to hear that. I guess the last major topic that I wanted to talk to you about was security. And here I'm thinking about not just online security, but also, of course, the in-person and that safe return back to college, back to school, back to work, whatever it is. I wonder if you could just talk to us a little bit about that, you know, what you've been able to do to help with security for your students online, but also on the campus and, you know, helping to support that safe return. Sure, definitely. So for a safe return aspect, and I think we are hearing this is a trending topic right now, we are hearing administrations across higher ed that are not only encouraging, but expecting people to be vaccinated. We are hearing that they are continuing to do some level of frequent testing. You know, that's something that our students have had to do twice a week, all semester. They have to do testing twice a week. Still encouraging some distancing or forming your pod and staying within your pod. But we're also seeing from a teaching side, and I mentioned this a little earlier, is we're still seeing faculty are very cognizant that they can deliver instruction to students in this remote or hybrid or high flex environment. So, you know, we're looking at how can we make sure that we're providing them with this safe learning space when they get to campus Mm -hmm. and yet have the tools available for them. In regards to some of those tools, we do use multi-factor authentication. That's a big thing that a lot of companies are moving to. A lot of schools are moving to that where you do have that multi-factor available and having those resources to protect your students. And then we also think about the idea of privacy. And you mentioned security. That is probably one of the most challenging things that we've learned. And I even think about this with my team or when I'm in meetings is some people don't want to turn their camera on. And it's not because of something. So there's a whole bunch of reasons, Mm, I guess. But one of them is that idea of privacy. And that sense that I don't want people to see where I'm sitting. I don't want people to know what my house looks like. And recognizing that, acknowledging that some people want to have that level of privacy available to them. From a software perspective, and this is something I've always tried to train when I've been an instructional coach or I've worked with faculty and I'm providing some of that knowledge to them, is letting them know that just because it's a really cool tool that they found they need to understand what level of privacy they're asking their students to give up. Right. Again, that comes down to informing them and helping them. So one of the things that we're really focused as we have gone through this past year, making sure that we're informing, let's have conversations. Okay. You really like this digital tool. Okay. Do you understand 
when you're clicking on that, I agree, what does that really mean? Mm -hmm. What are you agreeing to? <laughs> so that's one thing that we've talked about. And those are some things that we're doing from a campus perspective, from an IT perspective, continuing to do monitoring. Probably many of you out there have had or at some point filling out the daily health screening form. Mm -hmm. So which those are things that are becoming part of our new normal. It's like, yep, I'm answering these four questions. I'm all good. Okay, I get to go to work today. I get to be on campus. I think those are things that we're going to see that are going to continue, at least for some time, while we still learn how to mitigate and manage this new experience that of bringing people back on campus, whether it's, you know, at that 50% or hopefully what we're aiming for is 100%. Yes, absolutely. Bring it on. I think so much of this is about confidence. That's the word that I always come back to. I think we're all looking for ways to boost our own confidence and that of those around us and that we're looking after. Uh, so definitely sounds like you have that sort of front and center in your mind. I also thought it was really interesting. You were talking about the privacy and cameras and that kind of thing. I think, again, that's something that's going to resonate with anybody who's listening to this, because I think we've spent all of us in, in our respective lives so much time staring at a screen and connecting with each other over um, whatever it is, Zoom or uh, Cisco WebEx, folks. There is a Cisco tool as well does that job. Mm -hmm. um, and so whatever it is, there's still that human aspect, right? It, do I want to be kind of stared at all day on these uh, calls in these many meetings that I have. You're so right about backgrounds in rooms and that sort of thing. I myself use uh, virtual backgrounds because I'm not super proud of how tidy my study is or my makeshift study, I should say. So, you know, it's real. And uh, I think taking all of those things into consideration, again, that comes back to the equity piece. There's, there's just so many aspects to this. And I think it's been fascinating to see how there's been this intersection of, of the human aspects of a situation like the pandemic and the technology uh, and bringing those together as effectively as we can. Fascinating conversation. Thanks, Jenna. I guess as we start to wrap things up, I'm kind of curious to just hear from you your thoughts around uh, what you're looking forward to, what you're hoping the normal is going to look like for you. Sure. I'm hoping that we can get our students back into classrooms, but recognizing that there are successes in the online learning environment. As a parent, I have seen that. I have seen the success that my own child has been able to have. However, I also have seen the struggles that child has gone through and my other child who has struggled and needs to be in a classroom. So I've experienced it from both sides. And I really hope that we can acknowledge that the internet is a staple piece. <laughs> we need to provide it that we recognize that everybody's coming to uh, work or to school with different experiences with technology and recognizing that they all have different devices and whatever we can do to help them be successful with those devices is important. Um, helping them to grow in their digital literacy skills and continuing to have those conversations. Those are probably some of the most valuable lessons I've learned this year is really having some of those in-depth conversations with our faculty to find out what their needs are and how we can help to support that. So hopefully after this summer, we will continue to see some great improvements. We'll have people back on campus and working, whether they're working remote or working in person, but we'll have our students there and attending sporting events again and in full force and cheering our teams on. So that's what I'm hopeful for. I'm a people person. So being able right. to be in person with people would be wonderful. 
Yes, I must admit, um, I think of myself as a kind of introverted character, as many people are in technology. But honestly, I would love to have the opportunity to just meet and greet and, and hang out with, uh, with some of my colleagues again. So universal, I think, for, for all of us. So thank you for bringing the humanity to it, Jenna. I think it's been a really interesting conversation. Very much grateful to you for, for joining us today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And again, congratulations on your 50th episode. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Yay, we've made it a great one. And so I think the last thing I want to say before we wrap things up, uh, obviously higher education is one of many different industries that we work with at Cisco Meraki. And you know, I definitely would encourage you if you are joining us for the first time or you're interested in technology and higher education, we do have some details around you know, how we think about that and how we support it from a technology perspective on our website. So just head to meraki.com and you will find uh, you know, details around the Meraki ecosystem. You'll also find information around latest developments in Wi-Fi 6, the sort of newest version of Wi-Fi that really helps to improve coverage, improve like battery life for devices, just provide a greater level of experience to come back to what we discussed today. Uh, so there's a lot to look into there. But I hope that even if you're not in the education field, you found today's conversation interesting. I think a lot of these kind of comments and topics are common to many of us across our different uh, lives and experiences. Very happy to have had you with us once again on Meraki Unboxed. And I just want to put out one more time the reminder that we love to bring guests onto the show, regardless of what industry you work in. If you're using technology specifically, uh, then we would love to hear from you and get your ideas shared, whether it's one that you want to give to us as an idea, or if you'd even like to be on the podcast yourself. If you are interested in doing that, please do reach out to me. You can find me easily online. Twitter is the place to go for me. Uh, and you can find me on at Meraki Simon. That's my Twitter handle. We're going to wrap up this episode of Meraki Unboxed, our 50th. Thank you so much for being a hopefully subscriber of Meraki Unboxed. We will be back in two weeks with more. So stay tuned for that. Thanks very much. Have a great day.